But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine, genuine among you may be recognised. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemning along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Huey. Um, and uh, it's wonderful to see you this morning. Um, welcome to all our uh, regulars and partners. And uh, if this is your first time joining us, uh, or if you're fairly new to our church, uh, then uh, welcome to you as well. It's, it's wonderful to see you. Um, my, my family's been on a bit of a holiday um, the last week. And uh, I mean, obviously, it was a staycation, but uh, it was a really uh, wonderful time and a restful time. So uh, we're very thankful to God for that. Uh, but it's uh, good to be back at church uh, together uh, with everyone. Uh, well, it'll be uh, helpful if you can have uh, 1 Corinthians 11 open in front of you um, so that uh, you can uh, just sort of check that the things that I'm saying uh, line up with uh, what you are seeing for yourself in God's word. Uh, but let me lead us in prayer and uh, we'll have a look at this passage together. Let's pray. Um, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your goodness and kindness to us. Uh, thank you for uh, a new day. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful weather um, outside and uh, for all the things that uh, we are able to enjoy. 
because it comes from your gracious and generous hand to us. And uh, Father, we thank you um, that uh, you are a God who, who speaks to us and teaches us and uh, nourishes our soul uh, with your word. And so we pray, Father, that you, you would please uh, feed us this morning from your word uh, and help us to be uh, strengthened, uh, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And uh, we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, how do you eat and drink? How do you eat and drink? Uh, we all have different ways of eating and drinking, don't we? And so, uh, for example, if you come from Japan, uh, you might slurp your food because uh, slurping is uh, culturally acceptable and it's a sign that you are enjoying your food. Um, or if you come from the subcontinent, uh, you might eat with your hand, uh, which is uh, very common in that part of the world. Or if you come from Korea, uh, you might wait for your elders to begin eating first because uh, that is culturally polite. Uh, the older I get, I must admit, I, I, I like this particular, this particular uh, rule. But this morning, I want to ask a question. Uh, is there a Christian way to eat and drink? What does it look like to eat and drink Christianly? Uh, now, that might sound like a strange question to ask, but I want to suggest that uh, our passage this morning from 1 Corinthians is all about how Christian people ought to eat and drink together uh, when they come together as a church. But you can see that this is a repeated idea in this passage. Uh, in verse 18, for example, Paul says, uh, when you come together as a church. Uh, in verse 20, he says, when you come together, uh, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Uh, in verse 33, he says, when you come together to eat. Uh, you see, this passage is all about Christian people coming together as a church and how the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ should affect uh, all of life uh, and most particularly in this passage, um, that of eating and drinking with others. And so how do you and I eat and drink with other Christians? Uh, it's striking in this passage uh, just how serious a matter this really is. Uh, I mean, we might think, you know, it's just eating and drinking. Uh, it's just something what, uh, we do all the time. But if you have a look towards the end of the passage, you can see a great warning there, can't you, against eating and drinking in the wrong way. Now, obviously, this is a very serious matter in God's eyes. And so I ask again, uh, how do you and I eat and drink with other Christians? Uh, now, in our passage, the Apostle Paul begins by showing us, uh, firstly, how Christians ought not to eat and drink with one another when they come together. Uh, you can see this in Paul's clear disapproval of how the Corinthian Christians were eating and drinking when they came together as a church. Um, notice uh, in verse 17, he says that he does not commend them. Uh, and again, in verse 22, he says that he will not commend them for their behaviour. But what exactly was it that Paul disapproved of in the Corinthian church? Uh, well, notice in verse 
verse 18 that Paul has heard of divisions in this church. Uh, specifically, it seems in verse 19 that uh, these divisions have come about from self-centered people in the church trying to be recognized over and above others. It's a very worldly way of thinking, isn't it? Where people try to gain recognition of others, um, you know, try to step over others in order to um, feel superior in ways that cause division and conflict. Uh, you might have seen how such self-centered behavior can cause division in your workplaces uh, or uh, with your group of friends or anywhere where people tend to come together. And yet, tragically, this is exactly the kind of thing that was happening in the Corinthian church itself. And now it's clear in the passage that this self-centered way of thinking was expressing itself in the, in the way the Corinthians were eating and drinking together as a church, uh, which uh, in that time uh, would have happened in people's homes. Uh, and so in verse uh, 21, it seems that during church meals, uh, some people were being greedy and eating all the food while others missed out and went hungry. Uh, others were consuming all the wine and getting drunk even so that others missed out and went thirsty. Now, picture people turning up to a potluck lunch at church and, and uh, piling up the food so high that uh, there was no food left for other people. Now, further, it seems that at least part of the division was happening in this church um, was the division between rich and poor. As the rich greedily ate all the, all the best food and wine and uh, left very little um, for the poor um, to, to eat. And that's why Paul says in verse 22 that the behavior of some was particularly humiliating for those who had nothing because uh, they would have been meeting in the, in the houses of the rich and the rich uh, were eating in ways that meant the poor were missing out. I mean, imagine if we had a church picnic uh, once lockdown is over, of course, and uh, those who uh, are wealthier um, among us, uh, you know, pull out the most extravagant picnic baskets full of gourmet food and extravagant wine, while others are confined to an area to the side where they are left to eat their peanut butter sandwiches and, and bottles of water. Uh, you would conclude that something was, was deeply wrong with this group of people, wouldn't you? That was exactly what was happening with the Corinthian church. You had people being self-centered in the way they served themselves rather than others. You had the rich uh, serving themselves by taking all the best food and, and wine, leaving nothing for the poor. And so uh, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church by saying in verse 22 uh, that this kind of behavior is not only a way of humiliating those who had nothing, but a way of despising the very church of God itself. You see, treating others in, a, in the church as though they don't matter is a way of despising God's work. Because whether you are rich or poor, or male or female, or slave or free, if your trust is in Jesus, God has uh, actually welcomed you and brought you into his family. 
Now, friends, one of the things I found a little bit confusing about this passage is that um, Paul uses the language of the Lord's Supper. Uh, did you notice that? Um, it's there in verse 20. Um, and so it's very easy when we read passages like this to think of the, you know, the little uh, bits of bread um, that, uh, that we eat and, and little cups of, cups of wine or, or juice that, uh, that we take when, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church. You know, we think of that symbolic meal that many Christians think uh, Jesus commanded. Uh, to be reenacted uh, in the history of the church um, when, when he ate the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, but I'm not sure whether this is what is actually going on in this passage. Uh, for example, it's clear that the, uh, the people in Corinth uh, were not eating little bits of bread and uh, drinking juice out of little cups as a symbolic meal. Uh, I hope you can see that. Uh, but rather, they were engaged in a proper meal together. I mean, it's hard to see how having a, a little cup of wine can make someone drunk or missing out on a little piece of bread can make someone go hungry, isn't it? In fact, I've been quite persuaded by the view that in the New Testament, there is very little evidence that Jesus actually um, instituted or commanded a symbolic meal that he wanted Christians to repeat at regular intervals as a matter of great importance. There's very little evidence, for example, in the book of Acts uh, that the early Christians practiced this symbolic meal and very little evidence in the rest of the New Testament that suggests that this was a, a very important practice in the early church. Rather, uh, what I think was going on in the early church is that Christians often ate proper meals together as a way of expressing their fellowship and unity and love for one another as people belonging to Jesus. You know, what better way is there to celebrate God's kindness for us in uh, reconciling us to himself and um, bringing us together as, as a family? as a spiritual family, than by eating and drinking with one another. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that uh, once lockdown is over, uh, we might be a church that uh, delights to eat and drink in people's homes, uh, delights to eat and drink uh, as we come together as, as a bigger group. And I hope that we can do this not just with our friends, but in ways that welcome others in the church, uh, whether they are rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, as a way of expressing the fellowship and unity uh, that we have as people brought together by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, now, should we get rid of the symbolic meal where we eat little bits of bread and drink little cups of wine? Uh, well, uh, you might guess from the fact that we're actually going to do that very practice today as a church that I don't think we should get rid of that practice uh, wholesale. Um, some of us are, are breathing a, a sigh of relief. Um, but I don't think we should do it because it's something that was commanded by Jesus, you know, to, to do as a reenactment of that, that first 
uh, last supper that, that uh, Jesus enjoyed with his disciples, but rather because it's one good way of uh, expressing our fellowship and expressing our unity in the gospel as we uh, drink, uh, eat and drink with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Well, uh, if the Corinthian church was not a good example of how to eat and drink Christianly, what Paul says next shows us an example of what it does look like to eat and drink in a Christian way. Uh, for you can see there that Paul takes the Corinthians back to the Last Supper that Jesus enjoyed with his disciples on the night before he died. Uh, this is the original Lord's Supper, if you like. Some of you might know that when I was a university student, um, I worked uh, for a few months in a factory. Uh, it was a factory that produced jerseys for the Australian rugby union team. And uh, my uh, very exciting role was to be the quality control inspector. And so what they did was they gave me a, a master copy uh, of the perfect rugby jersey, um, something like what you're seeing on the screen at the moment. Uh, uh, which was the gold standard of what a rugby jersey should be. And uh, my job was to compare all the rugby jerseys that were coming off the production line uh, to compare it against uh, the gold standard. If any jersey didn't reflect this gold standard, then I would simply throw it out. Uh, now, I want to suggest that this is exactly what Paul is doing here. Uh, he's holding up the original Lord's Supper as the gold standard uh, to show just how far short the behavior of the Corinthian church had fallen when they practiced eating and drinking together. But why is the original Lord's Supper the gold standard? Uh, what is it about the original Lord's Supper that should be the model for how Christian people eat and drink together? Well, the important thing I want you to notice here is that the original Lord's Supper was a meal which focused on the other person-centred love of Jesus for his disciples in his sacrificial death on the cross for them. Uh, you can see it there in the middle of our passage, can't you? Paul is recounting uh, the things that Jesus did and said uh, at the original Lord's Supper. And so in verse 24, uh, Jesus breaks a piece of bread and he says that this is a picture of how his own body will be broken sacrificially for, for them at the cross, for his disciples at the cross. In a similar way, in verse 25, Jesus takes a cup of wine and he says that this is a picture of his blood, which will be sacrificially spilt for his disciples at the cross. It doesn't get much more other person-centred than that, does it? But the importance of the original Lord's Supper, at least I think, was not that Jesus was instituting a symbolic meal that um, his disciples were to reenact time and time again, but Jesus was teaching his disciples that whenever they shared an ordinary meal together, they were not to forget about his sacrificial death for them. Now, that's why in verse 24, after Jesus breaks the bread, he says, do this in remembrance of me. 
do this in remembrance of what I what I am like and what I uh, am about to do for you. And in verse 25, he takes the cup. After he takes the cup, he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, friends, whenever Christian people like you and me eat and drink together, we are always to be focused on Jesus, who was so other person-centered in his love and concern that he would give up his very own son at the cross for you and me. And that's why uh, Paul says in verse 25 that eating together with other Christians in the proper way uh, is actually a proclamation of the Lord's death. But you see, when Christians eat and drink together in a way that is focused on the other person-centered death of Jesus on the cross for us, and when we reflect this understanding in the selfless way we serve one another in our words and in our actions, then it is like a loud megaphone that announces to the world just how wonderful Jesus' death really is in bringing us forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. Brenda, I know that it's probably been many months since uh, you've shared a meal with um, other Christian brothers and sisters who are not part of your immediate family. But when you eat and drink with other Christians, uh, are you focused on the sacrificial death of Jesus for you? I think it's very easy to forget <laughs> um, and, and not focus on, on Jesus in this way, don't you think? Uh, is, is Jesus' sacrificial death reflected in the things that you and I talk about and the way we love and serve one another as we enjoy meals together? Is this reflected in the way we include people in our meals, uh, perhaps people at church who might be on the fringe or uh, who, who might not normally be invited to, to meals at church? Or do we despise the church of God by simply excluding people and remaining in our cliques. Uh, I remember once uh, sitting in a cafe uh, reading a book when uh, a group of um, older women came into, into the cafe. Uh, it was pretty clear from their conversation that they were coming in for, for lunch after their church service. But I couldn't help but eavesdrop on their, on their conversation which had nothing to do with the death of Jesus, but was simply full of gossip and, and nastiness um, towards other people in their church family. If anyone else was listening into their conversation, it would, that they would not have heard it as a wonderful proclamation of the goodness of God in the death of our Lord Jesus. However, in the same cafe, I also noticed there was another group of people who had come in for lunch after church. Uh, I'm pleased to say that this group was, was actually a group from uh, one of uh, our other congregations in our parish. Uh, now, I, I had to put my head down so that they could, you know, they, they could not see one of their ministers spying on them. But uh, I've got to say that uh, things could not have been more different. 
it was very evident from the things they talked about and the way they treated one another and looked after each other's interests that the death of Jesus was front and center. Uh, is this the way you and I eat when we meet together with other Christians? Uh, well, friends, uh, if eating and drinking with our Christian brothers and sisters in this way is to proclaim the Lord's death until, until he returns, uh, then it follows that it is a very serious thing in God's eyes to eat and drink in a wrong way as Christian people. And so the final part of our passage this morning is really a strong warning to the Corinthian Christians uh, for their unloving behaviour when eating and drinking with others in the church family. Uh, you can see the warning there in verse 27, can't you? Uh, verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. It's striking here, isn't it, that even though the Corinthian Christians were guilty of sinning against others in the church in the way they ate and drank, and so, for example, the, the poor in the church, Paul says that they are actually guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Did you notice that? Well, you see, the, the scriptures are very clear that the way you treat the church is the way you treat Jesus himself because the church is itself the very body of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the person who professes to love Jesus but does not love the church in their behaviour and in their actions is a liar, according to God. Or or if I can use a more pointed example, the person who comes to church and simply does churchy things, like taking the Lord's Supper, for example, but is never willing to love and serve and care for others in the church uh, by coming to morning tea, for example, and mingling with others, or investing time and energy into the lives of others, is guilty of sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's a very serious thing, isn't it? And so notice that Paul says to the Corinthian church in verse 28 that before they take part in any meals together, well, they should examine themselves. Now, the word examine that you see there is a word that was used of blacksmiths, uh, testing the, the, the strength of a piece of metal by hammering it while, while it is red hot. What Paul is saying here is that only when you pass the test of being willing to sacrificially love and serve and care for others in the church as Jesus has cared for us, should you take part in eating and drinking together with fellow Christians, you see. But here's the thing, friends. What Paul says here to the Corinthian Christians is that if you are not willing uh, to love and serve and care for your Christian brothers and sisters, whoever they may be, then judgment from God may follow. Now you can see it there in verse 30 where Paul says that it is precisely because the Corinthian church were not considering the needs of others in the church 
but some of them have fallen physically sick and some have even died. It's a very sobering uh, passage, this one, isn't it? Now, I just want us to be very careful here because it's quite clear in the Bible that you cannot simply draw a straight line between your physical sickness and a particular and specific sin in your life. In other words, if you are physically sick, it doesn't automatically mean that you have been sinful in a, in a particular way. But it is also true that physical sickness can be a judgment from God for sin. And in this case, the sin of not loving and serving and caring for the church, who are your Christian brothers and sisters. It's not a judgment from God in the sense of being condemned on the last day, but uh, it can be a judgment from God uh, in the sense of being uh, discipline for us. It's a way of dis uh, disciplining us, as Paul says in verse 32, so that we are jolted into living differently in a way that pleases God. Uh, you know, it's a bit like smelling salts. Uh, you know what smelling salts are? It's that awful stuff that um, professional boxers sniff uh, when, whenever they are knocked out so that they can come back to their senses. In the same way, physical sickness can be a way in which God jolts us to come back to our senses so that we repent of sin and live our lives in a manner worthy of the death of the Lord Jesus for us. So, friends, if you and I find ourselves physically sick, then we would do well to examine our own lives to see whether there is any particular sin that we need to repent of. If you are not aware of any uh, particular serious sin in your life, then there is no need to live in guilt if your trust is in the Lord Jesus. But the Christian response to sickness is always to examine ourselves and to see whether God might be dis disciplining us so that we come back to our senses and repent so that on the last day we might find ourselves not being condemned but being welcomed uh, into the great banquet of heaven itself. So, friends, uh, how do you and I eat and drink with others in our church family? It sounds like a very strange question to ask, given that we are in lockdown at the moment and it's not possible for us to eat and drink together in this way. I hope you can see that uh, this part of God's word is about much more than simply eating physical food and drinking physical wine together. It's about loving and serving and caring for others because we know that in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been loved and served and cared for beyond measure through his death on the cross for us. One of the things I've been so encouraged uh, during this lockdown period has been uh, hearing from others how different people at church have loved and served and cared for them during this difficult time. Uh, some people have been sent food so that they can have a night off cooking. Others have been sent letters of encouragement. Still others have had calls and 
um, offers to meet up and go for a walk so that um, they can um, have some conversation. It's been a great joy to witness how the death of Jesus for us has been shaping us as a church family. And it's something that um, I've experienced myself from, from many of you, which I'm so thankful for. But one day we will get back to being able to eat and drink together. And so um, let's be a people who delight to eat and drink together as we look forward to eating and drinking in the kingdom of heaven. But let's do it in a way that glorifies God and proclaims his death until he returns in the things that we speak about and in, in the way that we love and serve others in an other person-centered way. Um, our passage concludes today by saying these words. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, presumably so that they wouldn't turn up to church so hungry that they would eat all the food. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, but that they would eat and drink in a manner worthy of the death of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we thank you especially uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that his body was broken and his blood was spilt at the cross for sinners like us so that we might be reconciled to you and deeply united with one another um, as part of the body of our Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who remember and delight in Jesus' death for us in ways that will transform us to be more and more like him. We pray that we might relate to one another as a church family, not in selfish ways, only seeking our own interests, but in ways that display the other person's centeredness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that especially um, uh, we might be able to do this as we eat and drink together as a church. Uh, we thank you so much for all those in our church family who have displayed such love and care and sacrifice for others, particularly during this lockdown period. And we pray that we might soon be able to return to gathering with one another face to face so that we might continue to express our fellowship and unity in the gospel in ways that proclaim Jesus and bring much glory and honour to him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.